Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7, and uh, we are getting very close, as a matter of fact, probably uh, this Sunday and next Sunday we'll wrap up our series on the Sermon on the Mount. We're in Matthew chapter 7 and we are uh, going to be in verse number 24 and Jesus is ending His Sermon on the Mount uh, with a story, a story about two men And uh, one was wise and one was a fool. And really, if you think about this story, and I know it's a very familiar story to all of you, uh, I would hope it would be uh, that you've heard this story before. If not, uh, then, hey, uh, you're going to hear it today. But this is a wonderful, wonderful story. But really, if you think about it and you look at this story, there's, there's one thing that makes this story meaningful. And what makes this story meaningful, I want to propose to you this morning, is the storm. And that's why I've named the sermon, Are You Ready for the Storm? A storm is coming. You know, we've had hurricanes here recently, and we always have hurricanes. Some some get close to us, some don't. But we live in an age where a technology has advanced, and, and I mean, you know, People are tracking the storm when it's miles, hundreds of miles out. And people get little hurricane tracker apps on their iPhone now and on their smartphone. They'll track the storm. And, and, and that's wonderful. It really is a lifesaver. It saves many lives. I mean, it was, a uh, matter of fact, a little over a century ago, I think the deadliest hurricane that ever hit the United States, if I'm not mistaken, was in Galveston, Texas. And, uh, you know, this was around the turn of the last century. And they didn't have all of the uh, weather uh, forecasting that we do. And everybody thought it was just a beautiful, beautiful day. And, you know, Galveston there on the, on the coast in Texas. And, and uh, nobody had a clue that that night a hurricane came in and thousands, tens of thousands of people died because they, they didn't know the storm was coming. They were not prepared. They had no idea there was a storm on its way. And I want to tell you, I don't want to be, I, you know, uh, again, I, I love positivity. Maybe you don't think I'm a positive person, but I like to be around positive people. But I don't want to be negative, but I do want to be truthful to you today. And I just want to be honest with you. There's a storm coming for you. Everybody in this building is going to face a storm. I don't know what your storm will be. Maybe you've already faced it. Maybe you're going through it right now. But no matter how protected you think your life is, everybody here one day is going to face a storm. And this message, this story that Jesus tells about the two builders, it really focuses, it really is meaningless if there's no storm. If there's no storm, it doesn't matter if you're built on the rock or if you're built on the sand. Who cares? It doesn't matter if there's no storm. The only thing that makes this story meaningful is the fact that a storm comes. And so the question is, is there a storm coming? And I want to tell you, there is a storm coming. You're going to face a storm. Now, you may face a storm because you go to a doctor one day and he says, I'm sorry, uh, but you've got six months to live. Or you may face a storm with the loss of a spouse, the loss of a child, or, or you may face a storm of of depression, or you may, I don't know what your storm is going to be. But if you live long enough, my dear friend, you are going to face a storm the likes of which you've never seen before. It's coming. I don't know if it's come yet, but it's coming. It's on the way. And the question is, are you ready for the storm? 
Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 24. All of you perhaps know this story. It's a parable of the two builders. And this is how Jesus chooses to end his sermon on the mount. He says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built... I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, And it fell, and great was its fall. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. There's two people in this story. Two people, and if you look at this story, there are six things that happen in this story. Three things that happen... These two people share. There's no difference. Three of the things that happen are different. There's there's three things that separate the wise man and the foolish man in this story. And I want us to notice as we go through what are those things. But before we do, let's be introduced to the two people in the story. Jesus said there was a wise man in verse 24. And verse 26 he says, there was a foolish man. Now one thing that is, that there are many themes throughout the Bible. And one of the themes throughout the Bible is this comparison between a wise man and a foolish man. The, the, the wise man and the fool. And I want to ask you today, are you a fool? Wise, please don't answer for your husband. Are you a fool? Well... Let me just give you some comparisons about wise men and and foolish men. I think Proverbs is probably one of the uh, greatest uh, places in Scripture to notice that. Proverbs 9.8 says, Reprove not a scorner. And a scorner, you you could use fool in that category. Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate you. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. Here's one of the ways you can tell if you're a fool or if you're a wise man. When somebody corrects you, do you get mad? The Bible says, a fool, if he's corrected, his response is, how dare you? While the unmitigated gall you have of trying to correct me. That's a fool. But the Bible says a wise man, when he is corrected, when he is reproved, he will appreciate it. He'll say, thank you. I appreciate you pointing out something to me. And and let me tell you, if you really want to get wise... And we all know that when people correct us, there's, there's normally two types of correctors. That's not really a good English word, but I'm just going to throw it in there. Correctors, that's my word. There's two types of correctors. There's the friend or the loved one who rebukes you and corrects you because they care about you and they don't want to see you get hurt. They're afraid that what you're doing is going to create problems and they're going to come to you and say, listen, I love you. Please don't do this. You need to stop doing this. That's one kind of corrector. Well, there's another kind of corrector, and that's, that's our enemy. And what they want to do, they're just waiting for you to mess up, you know. And as soon as you do, they're ready to pull the rug out from money and say, uh-huh, yeah, I knew it, I knew it. And they're ready to point out your faults 
But you know what a really wise man will do? He will take correction from both. And he will take the correction of his enemy and the correction of his friends and he'll receive them both. And he'll, he'll look at both of them and he'll say, you know what? It doesn't matter what the motive, but maybe I need to take a look at that. If that's something that somebody's saying to me, so you want to know if you're a wise man or a fool? How do you handle correction? If you can't handle correction, I'm sorry, but you're a fool. The Bible says clearly you are a fool. Well, here's another test. A wise man fears the Lord and shuns evil, Proverbs 14, 16, but a fool is hot-headed and reckless. A wise man fears the Lord and shuns evil, but a fool is hot-headed and reckless. The Bible basically says a wise man, he fears the Lord and he, he, he turns away from evil. He thinks before he makes a decision. The fool is hot-headed and reckless. He, he operates simply off emotion. How do I feel? How do I feel? If I feel like slapping you, I'm going to slap the tar out of you. You know? How do I feel? And, and my friend, if, if you operate off emotions, I hate to tell you, but according to the Bible, you're a fool. You're a fool. If emotion is how you make your decisions, you are a fool. The, the wise man fears the Lord and shuns evil. Well, one more, and we'll jump into the story of, of the two guys. Proverbs 17.10, a reproof, and I, this is one of my favorite passages in Proverbs. A reproof, that is a correction, just a word, a word of correction, enters more into a wise man than a hundred stripes into a fool. Maybe that's why uh, those of you who received corporal punishment, like I did when I was growing up, I learned very quickly it was not wise to be brave. <laughs> because something about daddy especially, uh, he didn't feel like he had done his job unless I cried. <laughs> so I learned quickly, don't be brave. You know, act like it meant something. Whether it did or not, the quicker you cry, the quicker he stops. All right, if you, I mean, if you just say, he ain't going to hurt me, I'm not going to cry. Not a good plan, okay, uh, with Clifford Pope when I was growing up. But the Bible says that, listen, a wise man, he will get more out of a simple word that says, listen, you shouldn't do that. Let me give you some advice. Don't, don't, don't do that anymore. But a fool, you can take him and beat him with a hundred stripes and he still won't listen. He's stubborn. He refuses to listen. It doesn't matter how hard the discipline you give him. A wise man, again, it just takes a word. He listens to a simple word. But a fool won't listen to a, a, a beating. He won't change, though you beat him with a, a hundred stripes, he won't change. So, again, going back to correction. All of these, we've seen a wise man and a fool. If you are proud and you are stubborn and you don't like to receive advice... And, 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 you know, you just want to prove how tough you are. You remember the song, you might, you, you might be a redneck. You might be a fool if all these are true. According to Scripture, you just might be a fool. And listen, don't get mad because I called you a fool because that proves you are a fool. If you get mad and I, when I tell you you're a fool. The, the, if you want to be a wise man and I'm telling you you're a fool, receive the correction. So you know what? I am a fool. I need to change. I need to change my way. So, here's the wise man and the fool. 
But what did they build? The Bible says, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, whoever hears these sayings of mine, I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself on my notes. We're not to that point yet. Notice what they knew. Whoever hears these sayings of mine, and also verse 26, whoever hears these sayings of mine. Remember, there's six things about these two people, the wise man and the fool. Three they share, and three they do not share. Three distinctions and three things they share. The first thing they share is they both heard the same words. They all heard. Jesus said, whoever hears these sayings, verse 24, verse 26, whoever hears these sayings, both the wise man and the fool, had the same knowledge. Now sometimes people say, you know, I wish God would speak to me. I wish God would speak to me. I, I, you know, if God would speak to me and just let me know what He wants me to do, I would do it. I, sometimes people who are not followers of Christ, they say, you know, I mean, God needs to prove Himself. I don't, I don't, I can't, I don't know that Jesus is the Son of God. Well, let me tell you, my friend, God is speaking. God is speaking. Though both the wise man and the fool, Jesus said, both heard. You say, I haven't heard. Let me tell you. There is a missionary, we, we talk about Paul being the greatest mis Christian missionary that's ever been. I want to tell you there's a greater one than Paul, according to Scripture. And I'm going to go all the, way, all the way back to Psalms 19 and introduce you to this great missionary. And he's speaking, he's been speaking for a long time. And here's this missionary, verse, Psalms 19 verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of its chamber, and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven, and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. I'm going to tell you, God is speaking. There are several ways that God is speaking. Number one, He's speaking through the heavens. The heavens declare the glory of God. Every time there's a sunrise, God is speaking. Every time the snow glistens on a mountaintop, God is speaking. Every time a salmon makes his run up a stream, God is speaking. Every time, my friend, you see the wonder of the human body, God is speaking. God is speaking. Creation. Creation speaks to us of the glory of God. But not only through creation is God speaking, but God is speaking, my friend, through His goodness. You know, you can get on a spaceship. I understand. Did y'all see the, the space thing that went off this past week? I've always been intrigued by, uh, by space. I'll tell you a secret about me that you may not believe. I've shared it before. You know those stories where they say, you know, here's something you'd never guess about me. Here's something you'd never guess about me, probably. Maybe you would. But do you know one of my favorite shows? Don't, anybody, well, don't guess. I, I might be embarrassed by some of your guesses. Star Trek, there you go. Star Trek. Uh, he's been here before. It's not his first time. Yeah, you know, I've always liked science fiction. I, just, you know, Star Trek, the old 1960s Star Trek, that was one of my favorite shows. But anyway... Uh, always intrigued by space travel, but but you could you know th that that spaceship and boy that was neat. They put the little car in there and the little you know the little mannequin with the with the spaceship. Now he's on the way to Mars. You know he's going to be the first. Could you call him a man? Maybe maybe it's a woman. Maybe it's neither. I don't know. But he's on his way to Mars. And but you could go out into space. You could go out into space and 
And, and you could say that, boy, look at the handiwork of God. It is amazing. Look at all the planets and they're amazing. But, but you see, there's something different. The providence of God, he speaks. The Bible says in, in uh, Acts chapter 14, Paul was preaching and he was trying to speak to people who didn't know the Bible. They didn't know the Old Testament. They didn't, had never heard about uh, the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's trying to explain who He is. He says, we preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all the things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, He did not leave Himself without witness in that He did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. You see, you look at all of the universe and all of space, but then you look at this earth. And this earth is uniquely suited to our survival. There are the seasons by which we can grow crops. There's water we can drink. This earth is suited for our survival. It's been called the little blue marble. You know, it's amazing. You, you see these pictures from space, and, and earth is so different than anything else we've ever found. You know, earth is, is made for us. And by the way, here's the difference in, in worldviews. The evolutionist says we're made for the earth. Christianity and, and the view of God as creator says the earth was made for us. We weren't made for the earth. The earth was made for us. And that's a whole other sermon. I better not go down that road. We'll never get back on the main road here. But earth was made for us, not us for the earth. And so God has created this wonderful world that's uniquely suited to us. That's God speaking. God speaks to us through nature. He speaks to us through the world that He created all of this. There must be a creator. There's someone out there. But not only that, He speaks to us through our conscience. The Bible says, Paul speaking over in Romans chapter 2, he says, When the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. So everybody's got a conscience, a sense of right and wrong. God is speaking through our conscience. But then God moves on. You look at the, the march of history. It began with nature, speaking of God's greatness, declaring the, the glory of God, our conscience who speaks to us. But then God began to speak through Abraham, through Moses, through Isaac. And He gave His Word to prophets who further explained who God is. And what God expects of us. And the Bible says over in 2 Peter 1, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. God gave us the prophets. He gave us the Old Testament. And then we find in 2 Timothy 3, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So... God gives us the world. God gives us our conscience. God gives us His Word. That is the, the Word of, of the prophets that is written down for us. And then the Bible says, God didn't stop there, but 2,000 years ago, in John 1.14, the Bible says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. God spoke the loudest to us in Jesus. 
Jesus came and He became the Word that became flesh and walked among us. And the Bible says no one has seen God at any time but the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father. He has declared Him. Jesus came and He declared who God is. So God is speaking to the wise man and to the fool. He speaks through nature. He speaks through our conscience. He speaks through the holy prophets of old contained in Scripture. He spoke and He continues to speak through Jesus, the Word of God made flesh, whose words we've been studying these last several weeks. And you know what He does today? All of those are still working today, but there's something added today. Remember, Jesus said a remarkable thing. He says, it's better for you, talking to His disciples, that I go away. They couldn't believe that statement. No, it's not better. We want you here. We want you with us. He says, if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit will not come. God is speaking today by His Holy Spirit. When you hear a sermon, or you hear a gospel song, or someone speaks a word, or maybe you're just out by yourself and the Holy Spirit is speaking, it's stirring your heart. It bears witness that the things in this word are true. That the words that are spoken about Jesus and the words that Jesus spoke are true. Jesus said the Holy Spirit will bear bear witness to the truth. He'll, He'll bear witness to me. So God is speaking to you. Right now, He's been speaking for thousands of years. He continues to speak. He speaks this very moment, but to both the wise and to the fool. Well, the Bible says that whoever hears these sayings and does them... And then to the foolish man, whoever hears these sayings and does not do them. Here's one of the separations of the two men. And that is what they did or what they did not do. One obeyed and one did not obey. You know, in Matthew 21, Jesus tells a story about two sons. It says a father had two sons. And he told his two sons, he said, go out into my field and work. And the Bible says that one son said, I go, father. And the other said, I will not go. And left the home. The Bible says that the one who said, I go, he walked outside and changed his mind. I don't think I will go. He's not going. Brother's not going. Why should I go? I added that in there, by the way. That's just my commentary. Doesn't tell us a reason why he didn't go. But he changed his mind. He said, I'm not going. But he didn't tell his father that. He just just didn't go. The other brother, the Bible says, he walked out and and he began to repent about what he had said to his father. And he says, you know, that was wrong of me to tell my father I would not go. So he changed his mind, Jesus said, and he went and he worked in the field. And Jesus said, which of those two did the will of his father? And he was talking to the Pharisees. They never liked to get... They never liked to give him the answer because they knew that, that Jesus would have him. They said, I suppose the one that, that went and worked. And Jesus used that example to begin to speak about the difference between a wise man and a fool. What was the difference? The difference was that the wise man did what Jesus said. He heard the word of God in nature, in his conscience, through the prophets, through the word of God, through Jesus and through the Holy Spirit. He heard the word of God and he obeyed it. But the fool, he heard all those same words, but he ignored it. And he refused to obey it. You see, we've got a problem that's always, not just 
unique to our generation. It's, it was back when Jesus was walking. It's been a problem since the Garden of Eden. And that is we've got the wrong kind of religion. Most people do. And uh, you could call it necktie religion. You know, we've got to get folks to quit wearing these bow ties around. Some people like, I don't know, won't call their name, but D.W. and others will uh, sometimes wear a necktie. But I see he's got the right kind of religion. He's got a, he's got a bow tie. I know, of course, I'm not talking about that. What I mean by necktie religion is a lot of folks have religion of the head. But that's as far as it goes. It doesn't get, it doesn't get here. It doesn't go to the heart. And, and what is the religion of the head? Well, you've got religion in the ears. You hear all the right stuff. You might even listen to Christian music. You come to church and hear the preacher. You've got ear religion. Well, you've got eye religion. You look good. You look like a Christian. You look around. You, you know, you've got all the right appearances. You show up on Sunday morning and you know, you're dressed like a, like, like a follower of Christ, so to speak. Whatever a follower of Christ looks like, that's hard to say, especially these days. But anyway, ears, eyes, you look, and mouth. You've got mouth religion. You know the vocabulary. We got a vocabulary, you know, we Christians. Saved, washed in the blood, sanctification. You know, I mean, you know the right words to say, and, and you say all the right words, you speak the right language, and you've got mind religion. Oh, you know all, I mean, you could pass a Sunday school test. I mean, you could, you could probably quote many of the books of the Bible. That's the head religion. You see, that's, that's not what we need. What we need is heart religion. Heart religion that gets beyond the neck, gets down into the heart, and deals with the thought. Matter of fact, that's much of what the, the Sermon on the Mount is about, remember? You know, Jesus said, oh, you think adultery is bad. What about lust? Oh, you, you think murder's bad. What about hatred for your brother? Oh, 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 you think all these things that people do outwardly are bad. Yes, they are. But it really starts within. The heart. The heart is where it begins. That's why Jesus said, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. You must, be, you must have a new nature. You must let the Holy Spirit come in and, and do something supernatural on the inside of you and get all that religion out of your head and get it into your heart. And you know what happens when it gets in your heart? It flows out to your hands. You start doing the right thing. It flows out to your legs. You start going to the right places. It flows out from your heart to your hands and to your feet. And my friend, you begin to do, not just hear, but you begin to do the will of the Father. You know, I, I, like, this, I like this because I struggle with this myself. Uh, trying to lose weight. Story about the man that was trying to lose weight. And he says, man, I have tried everything. I've tried everything. I know what it's come down to. It's come down to diet and exercise, and I sure do dread it. <laughs> That's most of us about religion. We're looking for shortcut religion. Well, my friend, it's come down to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus if you want to be a Christian. There are no shortcuts. There are no pills to take. It is a choice. I will deny myself, I will take up my cross, and I will follow Jesus. The wise man heard the words of Jesus and obeyed them. 
There's no shortcut around that. I, 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 don't have a, I don't have an easy answer. That's it. And the foolish man heard the words of Jesus and did not obey them. Well, you know then, of course, uh, what came next. They built a house. Now again, when they built this house, that, there's no difference. It doesn't say the wise man built a wonderful house and the foolish man built a... They both built a house. You could tell no difference in their home. You know, the Bible talks about the wheat and the tares grow up together. Do you know why Jesus warns us against judging other people? Because you can't always tell who is a follower of Christ and who is not a follower of Christ by simply looking at the outside of a person. The Bible says they both built a house. I present to you from what Jesus said, you couldn't walk by the foolish man's house and say, that house is never going to stand when a storm comes. Look at it. You can't see the foundation, you see. And we're going to learn about that in a moment. You couldn't tell any difference. And the Bible says the wheat and the tares grow up together. Remember that parable Jesus gave? And, and when the servants of the master said, Lord, someone's sown tares and, and they're both growing up together. Should we go pull them up? And remember the master of that, of that uh, household said, No, because if you pull up the tares, you'll also pull up the wheat. Let them grow together until harvest. And when harvest comes, we will harvest them all together. And the wheat we will gather into barns and the tares we will separate and burn. That's the final judgment. See, we're all going to grow together until the final judgment. Doesn't do us any good to try to judge. What you need to do is determine, am, am I, don't look at your brother or your wife or your husband, try to figure out, of course, you probably know if they're a fool or not already, but anyway, don't try to figure out if your neighbor is a fool, the question is, are you, I started to say, is you a fool? That's a good one too. Are, are you a fool? Thank God the definition wasn't if you could speak good English, you know. He didn't include that or I'd never make it. Are you a fool? That is the question. Not is anybody else a fool because everybody's going to grow up together. The wheat and the tares and, and we can't separate them on this side of eternity. That's not my job. That's not your job. God is the judge. We're the wheat, I hope, or a tear one. You're a wheat or a tear. And you are to grow up together and determine, am I a fool or am I a wise man? And the answer is, do you hear and obey? Or do you hear, filter, and disobey? You decide what you're going to obey. Jesus said, he that hears and obeys is a wise man. Now, the difference is what they built upon. The difference between the house was, of course, the one that obeys the Word of God. He built his house on a rock. Verse 24 says, and verse 26 says, the one that does not obey my words, he's like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And remember, you can't see the foundation. That, that's inside. You can't look and say, well, you're on rock. You're on, you're on sand. Are you obeying the Word of God? Are you obeying what God has told you to do? You're building your house on the sand or on the rock. And then, of course, what they faced. And they both shared it. If you look, the wording is identical. The rain descended, verse 25. And then look in verse 27. The rain descended. And then back to 25. The floods came. And then back to 27. The floods came. And then back to 25, and the winds blew. And then back to 27, and the winds blew. And then back to 25, and beat on that house. 
And then back to 27, and beat on that house. Everything is the same. Let me tell you, that blows out the theology that if you serve God, everything's going to be great. You're not going to have any storms. Jesus didn't give any difference in the storms. Here's the wise man. He's obeying the Lord. He's built upon a rock. He's building his house. And the rains came and the floods rose and the wind blew and it beat upon his house. The foolish man who doesn't obey God. The rains came and the floods came up and the wind blew and it beat upon the house. No difference. The storm is coming. The rain. The flood. The wind. And it's going to test us. Either in this life or the next. Because the Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die. And after this, the judgment. Just a little nugget here. We won't spend long here. But always remember, God doesn't settle His accounts this side of eternity. Don't judge God's righteousness and justice by what you see on this earth. Yes, wicked people do prosper. Yes, righteous people do suffer. But my friend, if you believe this scripture, this earth is but a testing ground for eternity. This life is but a vapor, the Bible says, that appears for a moment and then vanishes away. A great hope of our faith is that we, as Paul said, if in this life only we have hope, we are of all men most miserable. If this is all there is. But praise God, the Bible says this is not all there is. This is a testing ground. This is the place of building and the place of testing. The wind is going to come. The rain is going to fall. The flood is going to beat upon our house on this earth. And the question is, are we built upon the rock on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Or are we built upon the sand of our own opinions and our own decisions? The rock or the sand. The flood came and then of course the result, and you know the result. Then the description changes. In verse 25, after the, wind, the rain and the flood... And the wind, it says, and the beating. And it did not fall. It did not fall. It did not fall. No doubt it was battered. No doubt there was some shingles missing. No doubt there might have been a window broke or two. No doubt there may have been some gullies cut across the yard. But it did not fall. And my friend, if you belong to Christ, I cannot promise you, you will not be bruised, for you will. I cannot tell you, you will not have a black eye, for you may. And I, I cannot tell you, you may even be broken from time to time, for you very well may. But you will not fall if you are founded on the rock. And Jesus said, when the rain and the floods and the wind blew and it hit that house upon the sand, it fell and great was its fall. What is there about a calamity that everybody wants to see? You know why they have high wire acts at the circus? Because people want to see somebody fall. 
Not really, but, but I mean really. The, the reason they go is because it's so, it's so dangerous. And the more dangerous they can make it, the more we like it. Don't just let one guy walk across the rope. Let him ride a unicycle across it. Don't just do that. Put somebody on his shoulders. Don't just do that. Put a pyramid up there. And more and more people flock to see it. And then what is the highlight reel when it all comes crashing down? Or when a building is destroyed? Remember when they did the stadium in Atlanta? I thought it was so funny. One of the media people, you know, they were going to get the thing and some garbage truck came and parked. Or it was a garbage truck or a bus parked right in the middle. Obviously, we can't repeat the words that were spoken, you know, by the cameraman. He'd made that, that shot ready for that great calamity. Well, not really a calamity, but the falling, you know, the, the collapse of that stadium. Everybody wanted to see it. It was going to be a great shot. And the garbage truck blocks it right at the moment. Implosion. And you know, Jesus says, when this house fell, great was the fall of it. It wasn't just a little teeter. It wasn't a broken window or a shingle missing. The Bible says it fell and it was a calamitous collapse. It fell in upon itself. Great was its fall. Are you ready for the storm? Used to hear this song when I was growing up. We hear it still sometimes today. It says, in times like these, we need an anchor. As a matter of fact, I think this song was written in the 40s, if I'm not badly mistaken, during World War II, but I could be wrong. But in times like these, we need an anchor. In times like these, we need an anchor. Be very sure, be very sure, your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. This rock is Jesus. Yes, He's the one. This rock is Jesus, the only one. Be very sure. Be very sure. Your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. I tell you what, if I do say so myself, I've got some good opinions. I really do. Whether you think they are or not, I have got some good opinions. But I have not built my house upon my opinions. I thank God for my family, my parents. I love to study ancestry. I thank God for my ancestors. You know, I, I have a lot of respect for them. But I don't build my house upon my ancestors. I thank God for all of you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, my church family. But as good as you are, I don't build my house upon you. What are you building your house upon? No matter how beautiful the sand is, how much you think of the sand, it's still sand. There is one rock. His name is Jesus. Are you built upon the rock? Because the storm is coming. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, the solid rock. And Lord, we come to you knowing that, God, we are beset by wind and by rain and by flood that beat upon our house, Father. And at times it does seem we wonder if it may fall. But Lord Jesus, we come to you, the solid rock, trusting in you and you alone as the rock of ages. And Lord, we ask you to be our cleft, to be our foundation. When all else fails, we stand upon you. We trust in you. 
Lord, as the old confession from centuries ago, Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I trust in you. Lord, I pray if there is one here today that has succumbed to the temptation of building a home upon sand, Lord, I pray that they would turn to the solid rock, that we would not build our house upon sand, but we would build it upon the rock. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're here today, the altar is open. If you want to come and pray, or you would like for me to pray with you, you just obey the Holy Spirit as we stand and sing.